Welcome back to the Generation Varied Podcast, everybody. This is the podcast where we talk about what is going on in the world with geopolitics, pop culture, um, movies, sports, all of that kind of stuff, and lots of topics in between. Um, I'm your host, Caleb Norris, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Ben Okenge and Jack Widener. But today we actually have a special episode for you guys where we are also joined by a very special guest. Um, who's going to talk to us about sort of what's going on with racing as a sport in America. So today's guest is uh, more than just a sports analyst. Uh, She's also somebody that I have a very genuine and deep love and admiration for. We'll also uh, get more into the story of how we met and all of that kind of stuff here in just a little bit. Um, But this is a person is one of the podcast hosts for Racing America and is the manager for Travis Braden Racing. Uh, Over the last several years, this person has also battled and beaten breast cancer at an extremely young age. Um, This person is one of the first people who ever taught me what it meant to be uh, your authentic self, to show up as yourself in places um, and around people that might not value you or think that you're too much. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to a very good friend of mine, Jess Ballard. Jess, how are you today? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I'm great after that introduction. I'm now I'm going to have to live up to all of that, but I am so excited and grateful you guys picked me as your first guest. Thank you. Uh, Jess, yeah, welcome. We're grateful you're able to join us today. Um, before I start like asking more questions about who you are and just your background in racing and sports, I kind of like one of my favorite questions when I meet uh, a friend of a friend is asking, how did they? How do you guys meet? So how did you meet Caleb? I feel like there's always two side to the story. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would be interested to hear how Caleb would answer that question. <laughs> so I'll tell you how I think it went. Okay. One day I okay, say this would be freshman year of high school. I don't even think it was the first day. I think he came in partway through the school year, but he was a new student and there was, he walked into the classroom And there was, we grew up in a very small rural town. We had like less than a hundred people in our graduating class. This guy walks in and there is no one else in the school like him. He, I mean, he was just like, and he, so immediately I'm, he just has this energy. I'm drawn to him and we just became great friends. And actually I was thinking about it before the show, Caleb and I never really even had much extracurricular activities together like we didn't play the same sports we didn't like do the same things after school he actually lived pretty far away our friendship genuinely was from just sitting next to each other in class and then we did go on to take a lot of um like film production classes together which is why i think kayla this is so awesome that you got this podcast because you have always wanted to be a talk show host and i always thought that you would have been so great at something like this so anyway we met through through high school and um like caleb said i think we really bonded by being a little bit uh different honestly we probably bonded by being bullied a lot yeah i was gonna say we bonded over being bullied for like no reason when i tell you especially like I get why I was bullied because I was super gay and feminine and black and like a super straight white conservative space. No, like, we were it, out in 
cow town, country, <laughs> cornfields. Yeah. But it okay. makes sense as to like why I would get bullied. When I tell you, Jess would catch strays from the most random people, like the most random, like she'd walk into school with like a new pair of boots on it. She'd be like, I just love my boots. And like 10, 10 girls at lunch would tweet like, I don't know who, I don't know who this girl thinks she is with these stupid freaking boots on, but they're ugly and she's ugly. And like, and it was the, and I remember watching it happen in real time and just thinking like, what is what is going on like why are people so so mean so we definitely bonded over being bullied and i mean so many so many other things so my my recollection of how we met was was in spanish class freshman year and we ended up i think taking all of our spanish classes together and neither of us were good at spanish that was another traumatic thing that we endured together (laughs) neither of us were good at spanish and i think we went all the way up to like spanish four and i remember i think you dropped out like week two of spanish four like caleb this isn't for me and you were like you need to drop out too and i was like no i can do it i dropped out no well (laughs) listen we got bullied by our spanish teacher i don't think she's gonna watch this we got bullied by our spanish teacher the first three years and then fourth year with i couldn't do it I, I was at my limit, so. Listen, she's dropping names. We have a reputation already on this podcast, and, and you are just strengthening that. So you're putting right in. That said, name them. We, we did, like, looking back on it, though, it's the craziest thing to think about, like, all of the, even interactions that we had, like, with other people's parents that would just, like, go sideways on us randomly. Like, looking back on that, it's like, what was in the water in this no, place that no. so many people beefed with, like, kids? No, that was literally, like, I remember in the moment being like, I don't understand this situation, but surely when I grow up one day, I will understand all of this. I'm just <laughs> inexperienced at life. Now that I'm an adult, it, it was, like, it was crazy. It was crazy. And, like, yeah, truly, Caleb and I became the closest when we would spend lunch period together, like, eating in a closet because we didn't. <laughs> want to eat in the cafeteria so um you know there's no better trauma uh, like there's no better bond than a trauma bond so yeah that's why we're such great friends today wow wow that is a great story <laughs> uh yeah trauma bond is unlike anything else uh, i'm right. glad you both had each other at the small town <laughs> yeah because it sounds like we were just we were just too big for that small town. Absolutely. That's what it was. Absolutely. And I feel like we would be remiss. I'm, we're going to bring it up at the end when we do our shout outs. But we like this is such a full circle moment because this is what we loved doing in high school was like doing stuff like this. And so um, shout out to Miss Kersey. Um, who, I who, saw you. You shared the first episode yeah. and she commented on it on Facebook. Right. She did, yeah. She's so proud of you. Yeah. Shout out, shout out Miss Kersey. She told us one day that life was going to get better and that we were going to find people that valued us. And she was absolutely right. So thank you so much for inspiring us and for really starting this drive that we have to, to be in media today, both Justin and I are podcast hosts. So thank you so much for, uh, for your investment in us. Wow. Um, Caleb, Jess, thanks for sharing that. I love that question. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you get have a chance to ask this question to your friends, Definitely. I mean, you just heard it live on this, like what can come out of this. Um, 
But Jess, I want to know a little bit more about you. Uh, maybe uh, Kayla share with, you know share with us that you are in racing industry. That is such a niche, like unique industry. Um, <laughs> I feel like I went through college all four years not meeting one person, and to now meet someone like, oh that's in this industry. Like, how did you get into it? What are you passionate about about the racing in America specifically? Because it's so unique. Okay, so I will this. I will try to make this a very. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of how I even got into this because being from Ohio, NASCAR specifically is very big in the South, like in mm. the Carolinas. But yeah. it's not really a thing up in Ohio. It used to be in its heyday, but those days are long gone. Uh, Caleb, you'll remember I started working at Flyers Pizza, which was a local pizza shop. Uh, in high school. Okay. This, this is gonna, is crazy. So I'm working at this pizza shop. I had a crush on one of the delivery drivers and he comes up to me after work one night and he's, he's a little older than me, like not quite 10 years. He's like, you should come to one of my races. And I was like, he was a little chunky. I was like, I don't think you run races. And he's like, no, I race race cars. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, interesting. You said I don't run racing, baby. I'm sorry. I don't I don't believe it for a moment. I'm not coming to them competitions. Uh-uh. I'm coming to watch you lose. So he's like, you should come to one of my races. And I was like, that sounds stupid, but I got nothing to do this Saturday. I didn't even, I lived in Columbus my whole life, you know, near Columbus. I didn't know we had a racetrack. So I go. When I tell you, I was like, I, I found purpose for living. This was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it was because he raced what are called compacts and you it's, you know, compact cars. Like you can literally go get at the junkyard. His race car was a Chevy Cavalier, but you got Dodge neons. You got, you know, all the, you know, compact cars and you just go get one from the junkyard and you basically gut them put a roll cage in, put a racing seat in, and you go race them. So I'm in the pits of this racetrack that I didn't even know existed. And there's like 30 different teams of like wild rednecks that are building these race cars in their backyard. They all got the team t-shirts. They're all wrenching on the cars and they all got beef with each other. He's standing there telling me like, Dirty Jimmy don't look, don't like him. Big dog, he's sleeping with big Ange and like it was like this crazy thing and I was like the 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 community it just like you mean to tell me these people get off work and then they go in their backyard and build these race cars and then they come here every Saturday and race and they beef and they got matching t-shirts this is the coolest thing I've ever heard so I go back race after race after race and I actually think the first race I went to Rowdy was his name uh because of course, and I think he won. And so I was just hooked. Well, mm. then I realized that I could take this a little further. Then I learned about NASCAR and I learned about the glitz and the glamor of like the bigger series and like the real race cars and the races that pay big, big money. And admittedly, I was like, sorry, dude, I got to move my way up the ladder here. And uh, he actually took me to a lot of races. Um, we would travel 
and he had this driver that was kind of from our neck of the woods that he really liked uh named Travis Braden and um so I started to follow Travis Braden and I became a big Travis Braden fan we had a lot of his um hero cards and merchandise and then one day Rowdy really made me mad so I went to a race by myself and I stood in line to get an autograph from Travis and I told him how much I liked him and he slid into my DMs and he was like what's good and I was like well I really want a job in racing because that way people will take me seriously because it it was a sport that was kind of hard to get into if you like didn't have roots in it or like a bloodline and he's like well you can come work for me and now we've been together six years and we moved to Charlotte which is where you got to live if you want to be a NASCAR and I help him wow manage sponsors and I basically manage his career so I got to thank Rowdy at the pizza shop for introducing me into this stuff but Travis has really taken me to where it is now. Wow. Thank <laughs> and sorry, you, Rowdy, Rowdy, but come on. <laughs> yeah, he would have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that one of my things I would love to ask people who are sports fans is like, what is their aha moment? Like, oh, this is a sport. Uh, I get it now. I get why people follow sports or yeah. watch sports. Um, yeah. Everybody has a different experience yes. uh, or story. But what you just shared right there, Jess, never heard anything like it. I <laughs> feel like I now have more understanding about just the racing culture. Um, but just taking a, a step back, you know, listeners, Jess is in the NASCAR world. She's in the American racing world. If Jess, if you were to kind of give our listeners like a brief, another cliff notes, like what is racing in America? What is, you know, because people might know Indy 500, or Daytona 500 that's happening, you know, this week. Um, can you kind of share a little bit more about what is racing yeah. in the U.S.? I, okay, so racing, I will say there are three main, like, big series in that Americans follow. One being NASCAR, which it only races, it's just an American, you know, we only race in the U.S., um, and those are, you know, each of these series have their own stereotypes, NASCAR being rednecks. And I would say that's accurate. Then you got formula one, which everyone's really hot on right now because of the Netflix series that came out during COVID. I don't know if you guys watched it, but those are like the pretty boys. Um, they're very fashionable. <laughs> they race, they race in, you know, bougier cities their circuit like everything about it's a little more like bougie really and then you got indycar which us nascar people they think we're hillbillies and then we think we call them wine and cheese racers like they're very <laughs> like bougie but not like but in a different way than and so each of these you know a lot of race fans are race fans but each of these series like i think attracts a different type of crowd um and they really are totally different aside from the fact that they're all racing automobiles but i would say those are the three main series that americans follow and what makes it a little different than maybe stick and ball sports like football basketball is that you're not rooting for a a team you're rooting for a person you're rooting for a driver and that creates kind of 
a totally different dynamic mm. in the fandoms. Um, the fans can get kind of crazy because it's it's not a franchise. It's not you yeah. know the Browns. It's your guy. It's Kyle Bush or whoever it is. Yeah, there's there's nobody else to 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 like pass blame off when like something yeah. happens. Like it's it's not. Like it's not a team sport, so it's like no, like that person messes up or that person doesn't do good in a race. Like that's just them, you know. That's right. And there are teams in NASCAR, but people don't really see it that way. People truly just and they identify with their person, and then on that note, they will defend their person to the death. And so there's a lot of like rivalries, and mm. it's just different. Yeah. So. Jess, knowing that you got introduced to racing in the country in Ohio, <laughs> now that you're in the big leagues, you have seen maybe different type of races. I'm not sure. Have you seen all three of the properties? What's like a story or experience that drew you even deeper into the sports and racing culture? I think so. It always goes back to that first day I went to the racetrack. I I loved it because it was just a basically gathering of really passionate people. I don't know. I I haven't been to any Formula One shops in any mm -hmm. or any IndyCar shops, but I'm very in the NASCAR industry. It's no different. At the top here mm -hmm. in the Cup Series and NASCAR, at the end of the day, these people are the same people as back <laughs> at the local tracks in terms of like their just love for the sport. I think just every time I go to a race, I am just like these are these are these are racers. At the end of the day, they're just people that love wrenching on cars and making them go fast, and just seeing how how tied NASCAR is to the roots. Of mm -hmm. where they came from. I don't know if you guys know this, but NASCAR actually started from moonshining, where wow. um, people, you know, there are guys that would make the moonshine, but then you would have the moonshine runners that had to distribute the moonshine and they had to make their cars fast so they could run from the cops. And, you know, how humans are, they're like, oh, we should make this a competition. And that eventually got so big that, um, Th that people were like, we got to make this a sanctioning body, and that's how NASCAR was born. <laughs> you just got a lot well, more people interested into NASCAR. Wow. Just it's crazy. That, <laughs> that is and, a crazy story, isn't it? And then, uh, uh, interesting enough, you know, the NFL is such a huge thing. Mm -hmm. The family that founded NASCAR seventy-five years ago is the same family that runs it today. Wow. It's the third generation. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, um, fun fact. There's so many fun facts. Um, Jess, <laughs> something I was looking into before the recording, I mean, just that conversation today is when I look at the fan base for racing, um, they're very loyal, uh, like you said. Um, they cheer for a, a person versus a team, like you said. But I noticed that most of the fan base is growing older, and that's just what it seems like uh i'm curious from your perspective when it comes to tapping into gen z we see these different properties like for example nba they're creating the in-season tournaments they're creating virtual interaction formula one they're going to netflix creating a show 
how is racing in the U.S. tapping into the younger generation, um, right? Gen Z or even younger? Yeah. So obviously Formula One did what they needed to do there, which was that Netflix show. Mm -hmm. It showed the driver's personalities. And now I, I mean, you got the, you got younger people watching now. Yeah. (laughs) The problem with NASCAR is that they still, the drivers still are good old boys. They, their hobbies are hunting and fishing and things like that. Whereas like the formula one guys, like they're like your typical influencers, like they're into fashion and travel and whatever. NASCAR drivers just aren't like that. And I think that's part of the issue. NASCAR was very mainstream back in the nineties and two thousands and even before then. And you're so right. NASCAR has been in this hard spot where their fan base is getting older and, and, and when they try to appeal to the younger fan base, sometimes you irritate your, mm-hmm. your older fan base. Yeah. They've implemented things like, like the example you gave NASCAR is doing kind of the same thing where they've implemented the playoffs, which they've never had before. They've implemented something like state, it's called stage racing. And basically they cut the races into like three segments and kind of like restart the race, like, and into segments during one race and like a few other competition things that, um, you know, maybe make it appeal to a a more, I, I think we see it in all of sports where these series and these leagues have to appeal to a casual fan mm-hmm, yeah. because people just don't have the attention span that they used to. And people just aren't going to like, um, did I just give myself balloons? I don't know how. Don't that know. <laughs> well, but people, people, it's just sports fans aren't the same. And so they need to do stuff to appeal to a casual fan. And so some of that comes into like going after sponsors yeah. that are like, like someone has Huda Beauty uh, as a sponsor this past um, season. Um, whereas like it used to be like Tide and Miller Lite and stuff like that. So right, they're trying, um, but it's a, it's a hard thing. Um, and I don't think they've really gotten their footing right, I honestly, on you, that topic. You definitely hit the nail on the head because at the end of the day, People are still trying to figure out how to tap into Gen Z. Yeah. That's for all. They're people. hard. It's not, it's not just NASCAR. It's it's from NBA, NFL to the Olympics. They're trying to figure out creative ways to enter into uh, Gen Z and younger attention. So, no, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, before we move on to the next topic, listeners, if you're not intrigued about American racing by this point, I don't know what to say. Uh, Can't help but- you. <laughs> <Can't help me. laughs> but just if you were to give like if one of our listeners is like oh where do i go like from here like i kind of want to get into racing where would you point them yeah i would point them if i was getting them into just racing motorsports in general i think i would point them to the f1 documentary on netflix because I think that's a very uh, digestible piece of content where you're not going to feel overwhelmed by like mm. having to learn rules or anything like that. You're going to be able to identify with the with personalities, and it'll just be a cool entry point 
Then NASCAR actually just came out with their version of the show. It, I believe, is produced by the same company. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I would say those are like digestible entry points. The thing about, and again, I can't speak on the other two series, IndyCar and um, F1, but NASCAR races are just like a party. They're a great time. Just buy a ticket. Just buy a ticket <laughs> and go. I, I that's all you'll need. I mean, the, you right. can't you can't just you. It's indescribable the feeling of the cars going by and after you watch it on Netflix, just go buy a ticket. And yeah. moonshine. And moonshine. That's right. <laughs> and I will say, you could get into it. You don't have to go all the way to NASCAR. You could you could get into it the same way I did and buy a ticket to your local track, and that I can at least guarantee will be good people watching. <laughs> Well, listeners, you heard it. Uh, Jess, thanks for, yeah, those are great answers. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to look at if there's any track near me because all we have is horse horse track over here. <laughs> Where are you? Are you you're in Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, the, we do have a NASCAR track in Kentucky. It's just right over the board. It's called Kentucky Motor Speedway, okay. International Speedway, something like that. Yeah. No, I definitely look into it. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if there's one thing that uh, if there's one thing that we need more of, it is it is things that make us feel involved and connected to community and all of that kind of stuff. No matter what it is, um, I definitely think that racing racing is something that um, I actually I would love to go to to a race at some point. We always talked about going together, but I know I would love to go to one just because I know I know that feeling that you're talking about where where you feel like you're a part of something. And you feel like you're in a community and connected to other people. And I think that that's something really important. Um, and, and speaking of, I think uh, for, for our next topic, talking about feeling connected to community and talking about specifically um, like men's mental health. Um, what are, I guess, what are your guys' thoughts as we transition here on uh, the topic of men's mental health, it's been popping up a lot lately in in conversation with uh, with lots of different people um, from different political spectrums and ideologies and that kind of stuff. So I want to open it up to the group. What are your guys' thoughts on sort of the state of men's mental health right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you totally hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, one of the the key elements of, of being a, a human and living the human experience is community. Yeah. And we are just so clearly right now in this loneliness epidemic. Um, and that, mm. that applies to everyone, but even more particularly um, towards men and um, especially middle aged men are, are lonelier than ever. And I mean, we, we'll we'll talk about some some stats and stuff, but that's really the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I the first thing that comes to mind is who do we listen to in terms of uh like male voices like who is people looking up to um what behavior um do they have or habits i think that's just something uh when people say men's mental health that's the first thing i think of because i think mm. a lot of times the people the the men or boys looking up to might not be the best human being <laughs> period and not the best example for holding high characteristic when it comes to being a 
good human being, like how they treat their partner or their kids, how they treat something they disagree with. These are things that are hard. Um, and I think there is an, a lack of good example um, yeah. for people to look up to these days. Um, so that's that's my immediate thought when they're like, oh, that's the first thing I think of. And I agree everything Ben just shared about community and, and loneliness. Yeah. I think that this is obviously one of those conversations that I'm probably better off to just listen rather than speak. But I do work in a very male-dominated space um, and spend a lot of time around around men. And I think something I notice, and I'm down south, very blue-collar, traditional. Mm-hmm. Something I notice is that, like you said, Caleb, community it seems like a lot of especially older men don't even realize that they can talk about hard things or what they're feeling they don't even have someone to talk to and and in fact sometimes I feel like if they did confide in a friend that friend is not going to be equipped to be able to have a meaningful conversation Mm. and so I often think about how can like, how do we change that in the next generation to, I hate the term normalize at this point, but normalize, like, I, I feel safe and fine to have these conversations with my friends as a woman. Yeah. Why is it not the same? How, how can we make transition to where men feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I mean, I have some, some stats that we have, um, primarily gotten from the New York Times and the Pew Research Center. Um, One of those being that uh, roughly 15% of men say that they have no close friends at all. Um, Not like very few friends. I'm talking zero close friends. And back in 1990, um, that same stat was taken, and that was only 3% of men. And so that stat is up 500% 500% since 1990. Yeah. And that to me is just shocking. Yeah. I personally don't think that you can have a conversation about men's mental health without talking about how, um, and I, I went into this conversation saying that I wasn't going to use this word, but I don't, I don't have another word to describe it. So I hope that our listeners don't immediately tune me out if, if this is a word that you're not, that you're not comfortable with, but I don't think we can talk about men's mental health without talking about how a patriarchal society or the patriarchy, which is upheld by men, harms men just as much as it harms women. Yes. So what I would really like to just like open the dialogue up is the world has changed rapidly over the last 100 years. And we've seen the greatest advances in technology and in our Uh, knowledgeable human history, right? That does not mean that our ability to communicate and to uh, cohabitate and to live within community has also progressed at the exact same rate. And I think based off of the numbers that we've shared here, I think they've actually regressed significantly um, Mm. with over time. And I think a lot of people like to point like to point fingers and say, well, it's because we're, we're, we're creating weak men. And it's like, I don't think that's the case. I think that we have 
sent narratives to young men specifically about what it means to quote unquote, be a man. And this is just for anybody that's listening. Anytime you hear the phrases, be a man, anything after that is just about complete BS, right? Um, and, and so we've sent all of these harmful narratives about what it means to be a man. The problem is, is that these narratives used to have some sort of use to them, right? They used mm. to. If you think 100 years ago, we're talking in the 1920s, even, even a little bit previously than that, we, you have to think a lot of people we're still suffering with even like food insecurity. So right. when you don't have your base, even your basic needs met, you're absolutely right. Be a man. This is not a time to cry. We're trying to eat here, right? The problem is, is that these narratives of be a man are not set up for a 21st century society where all of our needs, I don't, I don't want to say all of our needs. There are a lot of people who still, um, who still do not have their basic needs met, right? But at least we know that, at least in our country in America, there are, there is an abundance of resources that we experience here. So how have men shifted from a world where their primary use was providing the essentials to life to now that it's so much easier to get those essentials, all of the narratives that were useful back then are still present now. Right. And I think that that's where we're seeing the most amount of harm that happens to men. It is through men upholding these ideas of what it means to be a man. Right. And I think one of the the issues is that, like, as you mentioned, the the narrative hasn't shifted and society has so much. And so as you bring up like um, previous gender roles that may not be so prevalent in society anymore, um, with that lack of narrative shift with uh, within men, it, it's created this distrust between men and women. And uh, we're seeing higher rates of singleness than ever before. And I think that also is part of the problem. Um, men and women and just people in general have so much distrust and aren't even willing to connect anymore. And that affects the uh, relationships that we see, yeah. uh, both romantic and non-romantic. And, and that becomes a generational issue that we're now really starting to see the repercussions of. I think another point I want to add on here is, kid, when you said like, be a man, when there are opportunities for people to define men differently than outside of the patriarchal definition. The first thing is killing the messenger. Essentially, whatever comes out like, oh, this is different than um, how you define a man, shut it down. And yeah. we've seen that too many times, um, especially when it comes to speaking, like people who have hurt others. Um, yeah. And when there's, that's what people are afraid to speak up sometimes, right? And calling out the um, dysfunctional behind, I don't know, just the whole system. So I think that's another thing it, that's been hard is to calling out like how this is incorrect and redefining what it means to be a man. Often when it's brought up, it's shut down. And yeah. that's the part where I feel like now with platforms like social media 
there are spaces where we can talk about it, like here, uh, one conversation at a time. Now, I don't have the answer uh, to everything, but I know like this is one of those ways uh, we can hold each other to account, you know, hold each other accountable uh, for our words and our action. Um, Yeah, I think I think in general, um, and, and th- there's some more stats here that that like we can talk through. But I, I think the biggest thing that men have to do, and and I, I think back to something that Brene Brown talked about, how when she talks about um, when she talks about uh, vulnerability, right? Brene Brown is a is sort of like a vulnerability um, expert. She's done a lot of extensive research out of the uh, the University of Texas, I believe. Um, and she talks about how when she introduces herself, she goes, I'm, I'm a shame researcher. And I talk about uh, vulnerability and, and uh, courage. And she said, men often look at her and say, oh, gotcha. So two opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> like, th- like th- now, okay, so like now I know who the problem is here, right? But um, I-, I think it's it's interesting because what what I've learned in, in, my, in my life is that the biggest thing that men are afraid of is any sense of emotional vulnerability, any, any type of putting, putting themselves out there. Um, it's the exact reason why if a guy walks up to, to somebody that they're interested in and they get turned down, they immediately turn around and tell their friends like F that person. They weren't actually very good looking anyways. They had like, because you're trying to soften the blow of you being vulnerable and getting rejected. Right. And so my, my encouragement to, to all men, like regardless of your sexuality, regardless of any of that kind of stuff would be, you have to be very intentional with creating spaces within your own life where you're able to be vulnerable with people. Um, and that vulnerability is true strength. Vulnerability mm-hmm. is true mm-hmm. strength. It yeah. is. And, and when you're, when you deny yourself of that, I think you're denying yourself of a, one of the best parts yeah. of the human experience. Yeah. You rob yourself of such a, such a connection. Like you guys even mentioned part of the origin of your friendship was, you know, dealing with some difficult situations and the bond that's created through misery can be so deep you know (laughs) um and one of the stats that popped up that that you just reminded me of caleb was that only 40 percent of men report having ever spoken about their mental health with anyone wow that's nuts and then within that group 40 percent of those say that they just choose to deal with it themselves 36% 36% say that they don't want to be a burden to others and 29% report being too embarrassed to do so. So those are just some of the reasons that we convince ourselves not to be vulnerable with our friends. Yeah. Wow. I, I just think in general, like my, there's a really great book by, I believe it's Bell Hooks called The Will to Change. And and it's, this is sort of what sort of started me on this, like, oh, crap, because I was re I think I was on like chapter three, and she was calling out some specific things that of how men interact with women. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, like, 
I'm progressive. Like I, I'm a gay man. I respect women. Like I'm a feminist. And I'm, I'm listening to this book on audio tape, and I'm thinking, oh, I, I weaponize, I weaponize patriarchy in my own life against people that I know. Uh, like, and even though it's been this unconscious thing, I think there's a lot of room for us to, to, to grow together in a conversation where we start off with the fact that vulnerability is strength. It is. And you cheat. I could not agree with you more, Justin, Ben. you cheat yourself out of the human experience mm. when you don't give people that opportunity to show up for you. Mm-hmm. When you don't have, and I think another thing that goes along with, with men's mental health is having a narrative within yourself, having a, a good reputation within yourself. Are you doing the things that you say you're going to be do? Are you striving to be the best version of yourself? Are you taking ownership and responsibility? If you, if you, if you ever talk to somebody who is successful, there are a couple of things that almost everybody has in common. There comes a point in their life where they realize that nobody's coming to save them. And that if they're going to be anything or have anything in life, if they're going to experience life in the full fullness of its, of its breadth and, and the heights and depths of life, that they're going to have to take responsibility over every single portion of their life. Even the things that happened to them that weren't their fault, even the things that they did when they didn't know how to do better, you have to take responsibility for all of it. I could tell you where I was standing. I could tell you what I was wearing. When the moment hit me, oh crap, nobody's coming to save me. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody needs that moment and everybody needs to be very intentional um, when it comes to the voices that we're listening to, Mm -hmm. who we're going to, like just in general, Ben Shapiro is not, a good person to listen to on what, what's funny to me about a Ben Shapiro esque character is that he talks about like soy boys and yuppies and all of that kind of stuff all the time. And he's literally like in, in essence, the exact definition of what he's, of what he's making fun of. And you can sort of see this, this extreme insecurity in, and especially around how he talks about gender and that kind of stuff. And so my, my advice to, to anybody would be start with vulnerability and understand and lock in on the fact that vulnerability is strength. Um, from there, anytime you hear somebody say, be a man, anything after that is, is usually just BS. And ultimately, don't, if you're trying to be better, if you're trying to work on your mental health, you hear people say this all the time. This is all over, all over Instagram. Disappear for six months and then... <laughs> show back up and show. bad idea <laughs> don't disappear we do not learn and grow in isolation it's very rare that that actually works for people when i'm having a bad day when i've needed to get things done in my life i i call up my friends i call, i literally called jack today and 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 talked about just talked about where i was at with my mental health and and unloaded you know some things and, and he was there and he listened and I think it, it takes us being willing to do that. It takes us being willing to be honest and vulnerable. And, uh, and yeah, I just think, I think it's something that uh, it's a really important topic that I don't think is talked about enough, um, especially as it relates to even to topics like um, even, even to topics like, you know, like women's health and that kind of stuff. It's like, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about how, uh, we move the the women's movement forward and feminism. We have to address the way in which men interact within themselves 
and also the way in which men are interacting with their environment and the rest of the world. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I j just thought about, Caleb, as you mentioned, like talking with with Jack about um, mental health is that you, you need to be willing to do that even when there may not necessarily be some big event, some yeah. horrible thing that happened that that forces you to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I can say, like, for myself personally, it wasn't until college when I had like some some pretty tough life circumstances come at me all at once, where I kind of realized, like, all right, I can't do this on my own. And I remember like literally like hyping myself up almost or convincing myself like, okay, you can do this. You can do this. And, and going and telling some of my friends like, guys, I'm, I'm going through it right now. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like in that moment when I was uh, sharing some of my thoughts, sharing some of my feelings, then I was realizing like, why haven't I done this before? Why did mm -hmm. I have to wait for this thing to happen to me where I'm now like down in the dumps to, to be able to do this, you know? And, um, you know, if you have friends, they're willing to hear you out. Yeah. They're willing to try to help you. Um, that's just part of human nature. And, um, so that, that's one thing that I, I would try to encourage people with is, don't wait until there's some horrible event that happens or just until you are at the end of your rope. There's, there's never, there's never an extreme that it has to get to before yeah. you have to decide to have vulnerability. And, and in fact, it becomes easier with time and it's easier to share those things while they're still small rather mm -hmm. than letting them snowball into something that at that point you are scared of sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I think one more, one thing I want to say is just listeners, the next time if you're in a situation where somebody says be a man or you have that internal dialogue, ask yourself, where, wh where is this coming from? Yeah. And why is, where, what is the point of this narrative? Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it's about power and control. But when we are choosing to be vulnerable, we are letting go of those things over us and we're experiencing the human experience. And when you think about when you're going through your social media, take a look at the men you're following. Mm. Would you want your significant other to be with them? You yeah. know, like, do you trust them? Are they, you know, because we talked about character last week, values integrity honesty patience you know self-control like these are things that are so hard but sometimes are not upheld uh when it comes to influencers or people we follow you know we see making a lot of money having a six-pack having a lot of a lot of women like are those things truly going to fill the hole in your heart yeah and i think that's a question when we the moment you feel like you need more, like just take a step back and ask yourself, like, where is this coming from? And how do I unlearn this thought process? 
yeah. and Ben, Caleb, like, I know myself, like, when we have that moment, like, oh, like, I can't do this by myself. And, but I want to be better. Like, you know, those are moments that we start to grow and yeah. it doesn't get easier. <laughs> uh, it yeah. gets harder. It's, it's still hard. Um, but it's, but we know like how, well, I know how I felt just even after like sharing something yeah. vulnerable with, mm-hmm. uh, my wife or my, um, my friend, my guy friends, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely just take a pause and just like asking yourself, like, where is this inner dialogue coming from and why is it there? Yeah. You mentioned social media. Um, I, for me, TikTok has been great in helping me realize that I grew up with a lot of internalized misogyny and, and I admittedly don't spend a lot of time with uh, kids right now at this point in my life, but I hope that these kids that are growing up, you know, with the inter- access, internet access way earlier than any of us did, my hope is that of course it could go one way where they could be like you said have all these these role models that aren't really great role models alternatively i hope that they're actually being fed content like i experienced that opened my mind more i i i'm not spending enough time around kids these days to know where that's going but that would be my hope is that it actually ends up being a positive thing because you know, a lot of people grow up in an echo chamber and they might not even be introduced to a lot of these things we're talking about otherwise. Yeah, totally. So listeners, your big takeaways from that, spend some time in self-reflection. Like Jack said, think about where your thoughts are coming from, where your influences are. But then also, don't just do that self-reflection and keep it to yourself. Go spend time with people and and go share those thoughts share that thinking more likely than not they will also do the same back to you because you've now opened up a door for them um and one tip that i will give you that will make that just a little bit easier is have it around some kind of an event don't just barge into someone's room and say hey man this is what's on my mind right now because that might be a really tough thing to step into. So uh, one of the ways that I've done this in the past is um, going out to uh, going out to watch a, a basketball game together, or, or maybe going out to dinner and allowing conversation to head in that direction naturally, because that's one of the things that we're also lacking in this generation is just conversation. Yeah, uh, it's so much easier to talk about something that's difficult when you're already in conversation. Um, one of the ways I, I like to, <laughs> to hang out with friends is, is going to a movie, talking about the movie. Let's, let's hear about the themes and that kind of thing. Um, so Jack, what, what's kind of the yeah. last movie that you saw? Well, I, this is a great movie. Uh, listeners to talk about to maybe even help jumpstart that conversation <laughs> uh, <laughs> recently a movie drop called madam web it's made by sony pictures uh ben i actually haven't seen it but i have been following 
uh, just what people fans reaction to it. So mm -hmm. uh, listeners, if you don't know, uh, Sony owns the property to Spider-Man and within the last three to five years, we have seen great Spider-Man movies. We have seen somewhere in the middle, but we also seen movies like Morbius, and I'm not going to debate on that. Morbius, um, <laughs> but so hey, Sony, Sony, had Sony did good with the first with the first Spider-Man movies, and then Marvel's yeah. been doing good with the yeah. Spider-Man movies. Yeah, so they also did well, okay, with Venom as well. Uh, but listeners, they just dropped a new film called Madam Web. It follows the story of this uh, woman realizing she is able to see things happen before it does um so it can't, that's just kind of the the movie and obviously there is a villain and she meets other uh women who are experiencing something similar in terms of something in their life is changing anyways i'll cut the um i'll cut the uh my thoughts short it, the reaction has been poor in terms of like the movie some flop and it's just funny that Sony, they have Spider-Man, but it feels like they don't know how to tell a good story. This is nothing a reflection of the actresses. I also haven't seen the movie. I can't say anything, but Morbius and now Madam Web, you know, I just feel like something's, something's happening here. Like, what, what, what's missing? <laughs> so... For the for Madam Web specifically, I think a, a couple of things are really, really funny about it. Number one, there are like two shots where the boom mic is literally in frame. <laughs> oh, come on. Miss Kersey would not have had any of that. <laughs> if Lori Kersey saw a boom mic in the frame, that would not have went to that would not have went to final production. So the fact that you are two of the greatest studios in the entire world and you're like it, it, I thought that was very sloppy. Um I I it didn't do very well in the, the box office. I, I think it has like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Oh. And let me just say this. I genuinely think we have moved past the era of like superhero movies give it back burner it i'm not saying that it's over to the to the fandom that loves marvel keep loving marvel i'm not here to yuck anybody's yum i'm just saying too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing and we see movies like this being made <laughs> okay. guess what though if if there's any movie that comes out that has anything to do with spider-man i'm watching it so I'm still, even though I know this movie's going to be terrible, I'm still so excited. And I have yes. it on my calendar to go watch Madam Web. You do? I'm not even joking. I'm so excited because, you know, people can hate on it all they want. But until I've seen it, I, I yeah. can still hold on to that hope, that optimism. Yeah. There, I, the, the, the diagram, there's a Venn diagram of race fans and... Um, superhero movie fans and them just being like absolutely crazy it's a circle okay y'all are cut from the same cloth that's my thought on it <laughs> Honestly, i'm not even like a huge superhero fan but it's just spider-man that specifically yeah, i can relate to that and i do need to watch the movie before i truly share my pieces of feedback but if the boom mic is in there 
I feel like that told that tells me half of the things I need to know about this film. Yeah, I'm gonna be looking out for that. You guys want to hear something honestly pathetic? Yes. Thank you, Jess. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm actually have not watched any Marvel or any superhero movies since like 2015. In hope, in hope, I never have. In hopes that one day, but this is very strategic, Jess. In hopes that one day. I will have a boyfriend who will be like super into it. And I want to gift him the pleasure of being able to explain mm. it all to me and like go through and like literally see my live reaction because it, there are so many films and so many movies that I genuinely just, I'm lost with it. And I don't also just don't, I just don't really care that much, but. No, that is literally the sweetest thing I have ever heard. Okay. Selfless. <laughs> but yes, but I do want to tell you not to burst your bubble, but I, um, Travis had never seen any of the Harry Potter films and I sat him down and we like got through like the whole series in like a week. And so I'm of course sitting there like, you know, next to him, like when something happens and like he, it was very disappointing so (laughs) i watched harry potter for the first time as an adult too um because obviously that growing up yeah you were not allowed to do that we i remember i think the first time that i went over to your house i think my parents asked if we were going to be watching harry potter or not i'm being so serious (laughs) there was a period of time where i felt like your parents might have thought my parents were not good parents or they just weren't really sure which my parents did the same thing to people they didn't know they would call and you know but yeah yeah so sorry uh any of the harry potters no uh, way my my wife is a, a big harry potter fan but shout out to abigail because that's my wife because she knows me well enough to know that making me watch those movies is a horrible idea. Like ben, she's gonna just enjoy to it, it in her own corner because she knows that if I watch it and I start roasting the Harry Potter movies, if on the off chance that I don't like it, then it's it's game over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ben, <laughs> you gotta give it a chance. Seriously. And Caleb, while that's so selfless of you, I wish you experience watching Marvel movies in a theater. I know. Such I as know. the Affinity uh, War or Ang- there's certain mm-hmm. movies, but uh, but no, that's very thoughtful. I never think about it that way. Uh, and I'm sorry, Jess, like when you show the Harry Potter, like I love showing my wife like something I love and just wait for their reaction. And when they don't give me that reaction, I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know what this means. <laughs> well, I gave it right back to him when we watched the whole Fast and Furious franchise, so <laughs> we're even. <laughs> well, cool, y'all. Well, Jessica, first of all, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. Um, it's been such a joy having you and getting caught up and, and talking about all of this stuff. So thank you so much for being here. Um, folks, we will be back next week. Remember, uh, episodes release. Friday at 8 a.m. Follow us on social media at Generation Buried um, on all of the socials. Um, and yeah, we've got some exciting things that are happening um, that we plan on uh, talking about in the coming weeks. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. 